You know, about two weeks ago, we heard the Lord Jesus tell us that in order to make faithful followers of the Lord, we must go outside the church and connect with people, right? But he didn't stop there because he said once you go and you connect with people, then you also need to make disciples by leading them to make a decision in baptism. Well, he didn't stop there because he also said that after you do that, you have to demonstrate obedience by teaching them to do everything that I've taught you to do. So he said, I want you to go, I want you to make, I want you to baptize, and I want you to teach. That is how you make faithful followers. Well, then about 50 years later, last week, we found out that his half-brother, James, instructed us how to be faithful followers ourselves. He said, you need to possess a dynamic faith, a dynamic faith that is A, based on the Word of God, B, involves the whole person, that means everything you think of, everything that you feel, and all that you do, right? But also that your faith must be coupled with corresponding action. And if it does not, if it is not based on the Word of God, if it does not involve the whole person, if it is not coupled with corresponding action, then your faith is dead. It is useless. It is of no avail. Today, we're going to get a few more nuts and bolts, if you will, on how to be faithful followers, especially if like me, you find yourself from time to time being a little bit less than faithful. What do you do when you find yourself to be less than faithful? Now, in the news, the past couple of months, you have heard a lot of talk about what's called the Great Reset. And the Great Reset reminds us that Society, a worldly society as a whole, is trying to create a one world government. It is trying to create a United Nations, a, a world trade organization. It is trying to create a world bank. It is trying to create a global tax. Everything that I just mentioned it has been prophesied for the last 2,000 years. But what I want you to be concerned about is not all those things that society is trying to do, that Satan is trying to do to create this one world government. I want you to worry about resetting your faith. Don't be worried about the great reset, but you reset your faith. I remember when I was growing up, my family had a swimming pool. However, with the luxury of having a swimming pool, we also had five acres of land that had to be mowed, weed whacked, hedged, trimmed, and all that stuff. And I can't remember how many times while I was working my tail off in that hot Florida sun that I would go, I would stop and take a dip in the pool. And I would stay and just in a very few minutes, I'd be ready to start again refreshed. I'd kind of be reset, if you will. 
positive change in our lives involves a reset. If you want positive change in your life, it will involve a reset that will focus your spiritual eyes back on the Lord Jesus Christ in everything that you do. That is necessary because our relationship with Jesus is what determines the impact of our lives. I venture to say that you cannot have any impact on this world as you know it unless you have a viable, show-nuff, amen, relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to make an impact on the world that I live in, and so I'm going to refocus my spiritual eyes on my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As Christians, it's a reset that can help us to make these spiritual and positive changes. Thankfully, we have the Word of God, amen? We have the Word of God that gives us spiritual direction when we come to the decision that we're going to reset our faith. On page 1041 in the Bibles in front of you, Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to share a few verses that I pray will help you as you consider if and when you reset your faith. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to begin in verse 15. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. So he's writing to believers. He's writing to people just like me and you. And here's what he says. Paul says, see then that you walk circumspectly. Circumspectly means like this. Right? See then that you walk circumspectly, checking out everything as you walk. Walk circumspectly, not as a fool, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. How well does that fit today? Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, with which is dissipation, which will, which will ruin your life, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, just like Lydia and Bella did for us, speaking to us in spiritual songs and melodies, making melody in your heart to the Lord. And this has an extra special place in our heart today because Brother Howe, as we're celebrating Thanksgiving all month long, this verse reminds us that we are to give thanks always, to give thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. The New Living Translation interprets those first three verses this way. Paul says, be careful. Be careful. Be careful how you live. Don't live like a fool, but live as one who is wise. Make the most of every opportunity for doing good in these evil days that we're living in. Don't act thoughtlessly, but try to understand what the Lord wants you to do. 
Be careful. Be careful is a refrain that every single one of us here heard our mama say when we were growing up. Be careful. Be careful playing with that or you might hurt yourself. As teenagers, mama said, be careful and drive safely. Paul's message to us today is very simple. He says, be careful. He says, people are watching you. Be careful how you live. Be careful how you live in front of them. And in doing so, he gives us three important instructions to follow. And he begins by telling us to realize that our time on earth is limited. To realize that our time on earth is limited. He says, see them that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. You see, wise people, wise people make the most of their time. Foolish people waste time. Wise people use time. And our time on this planet is very limited. There is only so much time that you have to make a difference in this world. Only so much time is available to you. Be careful how you live. The psalmist in Psalm 39 said it this way. Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days. And to know how frail I am. With the passing of loved ones, we're reminded of how frail these bodies are. Job said it this way. He said, a man born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days. Number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Time, friend is such a precious commodity. Time is a priceless commodity. It's a priceless commodity that you never get back. You never get it back. You can never repeat it. You can never relive it. Once it's gone, it's gone. It's gone. There is no such thing as instant replay. When it comes to the contest of life. So how can I make the most of my time? How can I make the most of my time as I reset my faith? Well, two things that I want to bring to your attention. Number one being, refuse to be in bondage to your past. A lot of water has traveled under that bridge. But I want to encourage you this morning. To refuse to be in bondage to your past. No matter what happened. No matter how extreme it's been. You don't have to be in bondage to your past. Maybe you are experiencing a great transition in your life. Maybe your kids have grown up and moved out. Maybe a job has come to an end and you're finding it difficult to make ends meet financially. Maybe a loved one has died 
and you're trying to cope with that loss, maybe a sin has gotten a real hold on your life and it won't let go. It won't let go. And you're dealing with the guilt and the shame of that sin. Friend, listen, whatever it is, I don't care. Whatever it is, remember the two great enemies of your happiness is anxiety about what may happen in the future and unrealized, paralyzing regrets of your past. Did you hear that? Two great enemies of your happiness. What is it? Anxiety about what might happen in your future and paralyzing regrets in your past. They want to tear away your happiness. Often we try to reset. We try to start again. We try to reset, but we're still asking, what if? What if? What if I had not lost my job? What if I would have made more money? What if I had not been such a fool? What if my spouse had not passed away? What if we dwell on those things that might have been and we find ourselves stuck, stuck in that if only mentality? But here's what we should say. Y'all ready for this? Say amen. Here's what we should say. I'm resetting my faith. And by the grace of God, I'm going to move forward. And I'm going to be all that God created me to be. All that he saved me to be. And all that he wants me to be. I'm resetting my faith. One way to make the most of your time as you reset your faith is to refuse to be in bondage to your past. Now, we also need to do something else. And that is we need to establish strong priorities in our present. Establish strong priorities in our present. I read this illustration of an expert who was speaking to some students on time management, of all things. <clears throat> and after speaking to these students for a while, he said, okay, it's time for a quiz. And he set this one-gallon wide-mouth mason jar up on the counter, and he began to carefully place these fist-sized rocks down in that mason jar. And when he had filled the mason jar to the, to the brim, he asked the students, is this jar full? And they all said, yes. And the professor said, really now? So he reached underneath and he pulled up this bucket of gravel. And he started pouring that, that gravel down in that jar and he shook the jar and that gravel began to work its way in between the big rocks and he poured it in until it was all full to the top. And he asked the students, is this jar full? They're kind of on to him now. And they said, probably not. And he said, good. Because then he reached underneath the counter and he pulled up this bucket of sand. 
And he started pouring that bucket of sand down in that wide mouth mason jar. And that sand worked itself in between the big rocks and between all the gravel until it was full to the top. And he asked those students, is this jar full now? And they said, no. <laughs> Amen. He said, good. Because then he took a pitcher of water. And he poured that water over the rocks, over the gravel, and over the sand until it was filled to the top. And he said to the students, what is the point of this illustration? One wise guy shouted out, no matter how full your schedule is, if you really want to, you can cram something else down in it. And he said, nah, that's not the point of this illustration. The point of this illustration is this. If you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in at all. If you don't get the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in at all. So my question to you is this. What are the big rocks in your life? What are the big rocks that should be put in first in your life? Can I tell you that your big rocks should include each day you drawing nearer to God. That should be a big rock for you. Another rock should be that each day you are spending time with God in prayer. That should be a big rock for you. Thirdly, each day you should be seeking God's guidance by reading His Word. That should be a big rock for you. And can I tell you that if you don't get these big rocks in first, you'll never get them in at all. That's why I'm such a proponent of finding a way to do your devotion time with God First thing in the morning. I've shared it time and time again that when I came back to the Lord and He was reviving, resetting my faith, I would get up about five minutes before I had to hit the shower and I would read me a little five-minute devotion. I'd get my, get my time in, check my box, right? Well, as I began to grow and began to grow closer to God, I found that five minutes just wasn't quite enough. So I said, well, I'm getting up 15 minutes before I got to hit the shower. And I'd get in there, and I'd read the Word. I'd read a devotion. I'd get my box checked. Well, on and on it went until two hours wasn't enough for me to get my big rocks in first. Friend, i got to just challenge you that no matter what you got to do, no matter how early you got to get up, if you don't, you won't get the big rocks in first. And you'll never be able to feel full. Jesus said it this way. Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first His righteousness and everything else will come along His way. Seek first. I've never forgotten it as long as I've lived. Seek first. Friend, because our time on earth is so limited 
It's so limited. We can't afford to dwell on the past. Because our time is so limited. We can't afford to live our lives with the wrong priorities. You get one shot at this. And it's very limited. But because our time is so limited, I believe that Paul is also encouraging us to utilize every opportunity. To optimize every opportunity, if you will. That phrase, redeeming the time, can also be translated, making the most of the time God's given you. Or buying up the time. It's a really good thing that I'm not wealthy. Amen? And here's why. I love Sam's. And if I was wealthy, I'd be in Sam's every other day buying up the bargains. Amen? Yeah, if I was rich, I'd be buying them up. Well, that's exactly what redeeming the time means. It means you find your bargains because you know they won't last. You know they won't last. And so what do you do? You get in there quick. So you can buy them up before anybody else gets them before you. We should be taking advantage of the opportunities created by the evil days that we live in. How many of you know that we live in a very opportunity-rich environment? Because the days are so doggone evil. Man, it should be easy for the people of God to share about Jesus that can save them from that evil. A very opportunity-rich environment. That word that Paul uses for time is the word in Greek called kairos. Kairos, and it means the appointed time. The opportune moment. I want you to know, friend, that this is your appointed time. Why are you still here? Why are you not up in heaven with Jesus? Because this is your opportune time. This is the time that has been appointed to you by God himself. This is your opportunity to make a difference, to make an impact in your circle of influence. This is your appointed time. Are you redeeming the time? Are you making the most of it, y'all? Are we making the most of this opportune moment? Paul says that when opportunity knocks, that we ought to seize the moment. Seize the moment. Seize the opportunities that God has planned for us to make a difference. It's God who makes these opportunities. It's up to him to make the opportunities. It's up to us. It's our responsibility to see that opportunity for what it is and then to take advantage of it. My friend, don't you miss a single God-given opportunity to serve him in some capacity or another. Not even one. Don't miss a single God-given opportunity. Why don't we do that? Dr. Richard Swenson wrote a book telling us why we don't do that. He wrote about the major challenges that people have with time. And he calls it overload. He says, the problem is 
is we're just plain overloaded. Well, the logical question is, with what? Well, he says that we're overloaded with commitments. We've committed ourselves to go here. We've committed ourselves to go there. We've committed ourselves to do this activity and go to that social function. Meanwhile, our devotion to God and His work gets put on the back burner. If you've been there, say amen. Amen. But he also says that we're overloaded with possessions. Our closets are full. Our garages are overflowing. We've gone into debt to pay for all these things that we simply got to have. Meanwhile, we think we possess those things when in reality, they possess us. He says we're overloaded with commitments and possessions, but many times we're also overloaded with work. He says many of us get up early and we fight traffic. We fight bad working conditions. We work far longer than we should. Why? Because we have to to pay for all those possessions we got stored up. But he also says there's the obvious information overload. With the internet on every phone now, we're bombarded with information we can't possibly use. We're bombarded with things that are not good for us. We're bombarded with with contacts and images that ain't good for the Christian. And we do absorb those things. But we can't possibly absorb it all. And so oftentimes we feel overloaded in that area too. And we allow the bad things to work their way in our lives and the bad things to stay where they are. So do you get the picture of the overload? He says there's just too many demands on our life. He says there's so many good things, we will never get them done. But we have to understand there's just 24 hours in every day. You only have 8,760 hours in your year. If you make it that long. We, are all ha- we all have the same amount of time in a day or a year. But the question is, what are you going to do with it? The question is, how are you going to spend that time? You have a choice. And you can spend it as you wish. But because time is limited... We must learn to make the most of every opportunity. And if we're going to make the most of every opportunity, then we need to prioritize the Lord's will. Paul said in verse 17, Therefore, don't be unwise. Don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what God wants you to do. Use the time wisely and understand that you got to use it the way God wants you to use it, not the way you want to use it. That word translated understand means that you take all the bits and pieces and you put them all together. You take all the bits and pieces from the Old Testament and all the bits and pieces from the New Testament and you put all those things together with your prayer and with your worship and with your study and your life group. You put it all together and you make some sense out of it. And you obey what God says. 
God's word says that the very wise of this world choose to live his way, not their own way. In fact, in Romans 13, the Bible teaches that we should make sure that you don't get so exhausted. Make sure you don't get so exhausted taking care of your day-to-day obligations that you lose track of the time and you doze off being unaware of God. The night is about over. The dawn, she is coming. A new day is about to break. Be aware of what God wants to do in your life. Be aware. God is putting the finishing touches on you that he began in you when you first believed. And he wants you to make the most of this opportunity. We can't afford to waste a single minute, y'all, because we don't know if we're going to have another one. Can't squander the precious hours indulging in sin, trying to grab up everything in sight. Friends, what if Jesus declared that he was returning today? What if you knew this was it? He's coming back today and he's gathering up his church to be with him. Are we where we want to be as a church in our life groups? Are our children where they want to be in the Christians in Action ministry? What about our young people? Are we where we want them to be as young people? Young Christians? Are we where we want to be in worship? The Bible says that every single one of us is going to stand before the Lord and give an account of how we use the days He gave us. How would you do? Can you say that you made good use of every God-given opportunity? Probably not. Are you trying, though? Are you striving to make use of every opportunity? Can you say, friend, that you've lived your life in light of Christ's return, knowing that He could come back today? Are you living your life in light of the desires that God has for your life? Are you living in tune with God? In the book of Lamentations of all places, in chapter 3, the Bible tells us that The faithful love of the Lord never ends towards you. That His mercies never cease toward you. That great is His faithfulness toward you. And that His goodness towards you begins anew every morning. If tomorrow morning comes, you're going to have to grasp that opportunity realizing that it could be your last. Redeem that time. Take up that opportunity. Refuse to be in bondage to the past. Make sure that you set the priorities for the present and make the most of that opportunity for the glory of God. Friend, this morning, we're all given an opportunity to reset our faith.
You can walk out of here today knowing that you have reset your faith, but it's up to you how you're going to use this opportunity. Will you realize that your time on earth is limited? Will you refuse to be in bondage to your past? Will you establish strong, God-centered priorities? Will you utilize, optimize every opportunity? Friend, will you prioritize the will of God in your life? If you choose to do those things, I can tell you, you're ready for a reset. And I can also tell you, that now is the time. So in a moment, we're going to share a decision song. And during this song, you're going to have an opportunity to come to this altar, to reset your faith, to allow me the honor and the privilege to pray with you about resetting your faith. Maybe you say, Bill, I ain't got a faith to reset. Well, maybe you need to come and come to faith and set your faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. You know what God is saying to you. You hear that still soft whisper. Listen to me. It's God. It's God. So whatever decision that he's leading you to make this morning, I pray that you'll come. Perhaps to pray. To pray with one another. Or to come and Set your faith in the only one that can save you. His name is Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Mm-hmm.